in the last chapter, in the book of Revelations, chapter 22, verses 6 to 9. If you have a hard time finding it, just flick to the back of your Bible and start working forward. It'll be a lot easier than starting at the beginning. Let us listen carefully, for this is God's word, picking up in verse 6. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits, the prophets, has sent sent his angel to show his servant that must soon take place. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And I went and I heard and saw them. I fell down the worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant and with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evil doer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still be do right and the holy still be holy. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside the dogs and sorcerers and the sexual moral murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. So, Heavenly Father, you sent the Holy Spirit to help John record the visions that he saw on the island of Patmos. And we pray, Lord God, that he who is the Holy Spirit will be amongst us to give our ears And not just our ears, but our hearts, understanding to what John just wrote. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Since this is our last time in the walk through the Bible, as all studies show, what usually happens when you're done a study in school? There's a final exam. So today you're going to have a final exam. Don't worry, it's only one question. One question. What is the Bible all about? What have we heard 
throughout these 52 weeks since we began this journey in early January of this year. I hope we wouldn't say that the Bible's just about a bunch of rules and live by. In other words, if we do good, if we, if we live by the rules rightly, we do good. And if we do by the rules wrongly, then we do poorly. I hope we don't say that God's word is just a list of facts, just to give us an understanding about knowledge. Or the Bible is hopefully more to us than how to live. What's the right way to live in order to succeed at life, to be healthy, wealthy, and wise? Because I hope we'd answer this question that the Bible simply yet profoundly all about Jesus Christ. And God's redemptive plan that is found in and through his son, Jesus. And why Jesus? Well, Revelation twenty-two thirteen says, I am the Alpha and Omega, Jesus says. He was with, or he's before creation with God. And he will be after creation is destroyed still with God. That's what Alpha and Omega means, the beginning and the end. Greek alphabet, the beginning letter and the ending letter. Why? Because he's God. He's the eternal one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we believe in a God that's three, yet one. Verse 16, we don't have time this morning to go into it, but he gives further indication to the why Scripture is all about him, saying that he is the root and descendant of David, meaning that he's the one who can sit on the throne that God promised David to something from his line would sit forever. And the bright morning star, and again, an allusion to that he is the Messiah. Therefore, since he is these things, since there's no one greater than Jesus, past, present, or future, is why the Bible is all about him. Again, a fact that's confirmed there throughout the book of Revelation, verse 4. John says, Grace to you and peace from him who is with, is and who was and who is to come. Chapter, verse 8, chapter 1, he says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end again. The beginning and the end. Verse 17, Fear not, I am the first and last. And chapter 2, verse 8, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. How many people do we know that died and came to life? He's talking about Jesus here. Now, because Jesus Christ is the greatest, and I'll argue that we don't even understand to the least degree how great Jesus truly is. But it doesn't make sense why God's divine revelation to his creation, Scripture, would be all about this eternal one then. This Messiah that God appointed. Jesus even said, all scripture's about me. So this is why God's plan of redemption can be seen in every book of the inspired word. From Genesis to Revelation, it talks about the Savior. It talks about God's redemptive plan that's found in him. Beginning in chapter 3 of Genesis, what do we hear immediately after sin entered the world? God had a plan. That plan was that somebody was going to come forth to crush Satan. And now as we conclude, it comes forth full circle. 
where we hear God has a plan that this same one is going to return. The one that we just celebrated Advent to Christmas with is coming. Surely I'm coming soon. So, with Jesus saying that, we should have no doubt that Jesus fully plans to return. Just as surely as he came the first time, he's coming again. Notice three times in this passage, and again, I've said this before, when you hear something repeated, just like in life, if somebody says something three times to me, I know it's important. Of course, if it's my wife, it usually takes seven times. Not because of her, because her husband's dense. But Jesus directly states in the last chapter of Revelation here, in chapter 22, and behold, I'm coming soon. Behold, I'm coming to and I'm coming soon in verse 12 and verse 20. Surely I'm coming soon. That Jesus says this means then that it doesn't mean that it might happen. It just might happen when the circumstances line up. No, when Jesus says I'm coming, it's going to happen. Period. One of the reasons why John received the visions that he did on the island of Patmos that became the book of Revelation is to describe, is to talk about how it's going to look like when Jesus returns. Stating in verse 3 of the introduction, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Time's near for Jesus' return, saying the same thing as he concludes his book in verse 6, that these things that this were wrote, written about in this book must soon take place in chapter 22, verse 10, for the time is near. See, John's not anticipating Jesus' return as something that might happen, or it's far off from happening. It's going to happen. Why he writes what he does. Why he wrote down what he saw in the book of Revelation. And we shouldn't think that Jesus has returned. Is this mentioned in the book of Revelation? Of course. It's mentioned throughout Scripture. In the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. So Christ being offered up once to bear the sins of many, we appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. 2 Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And that then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. That's just a few of the many passages that speak of Jesus' return. Apart from what the angels promised who were there when Jesus sent it after 40 days after his resurrection to the Father's right hand. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. 
and said, Men in Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Then Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now I'm slow. If somebody says something to me once that it's going to happen, I may pick up on it. If they say it twice, maybe. Three, four, seven times, I start to get the hint. They're really serious about this. It's going to happen. See, these references in scriptures not only confirm that what John writes about in Revelation as being truthful, it speaks to the fact that Jesus has returned. It's not a work of fiction. Any of you ever seen Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator? I'll be back. Jesus said those lines millenniums beforehand. And any of you have ever seen the clip in the police station? We have no doubt that the Terminator is going to come back. But how many of us doubt that Jesus is going to return? See, this is not just something that Jesus' disciples made up as wishful thinking, trying to cover up the excuse that their one that they follow is dead in the grave. Eyewitnesses saw him ascend into heaven. Eyewitnesses heard the angels. Men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote about his coming back. And of course, there's the book of Revelation where John is taken and led by the hand through visions of what it's going to look like. See, the second coming is a fact, just as much like his first coming was a fact. If it wasn't a fact, then why did we celebrate Christmas? Why have we celebrated Advent? Because if this was all this fiction, it would have faded in history like a lot of things and myths happen in history. But somehow, generation after generation, decade after decade, century after century, millennium after millennium, we have celebrated the first Advent because it's a fact. See, here's the thing. Because it's a fact, we as his disciples, let alone the world, means then we ought to take it seriously. Because there's other facts that we take seriously, right? Did any of you test the pew out before you sat in it this morning? No, because you believe in the fact that it was made right, you sat in it before you just sat down. Did any of you not set your alarm tomorrow thinking that the sun wasn't going to come up? This came up a little bit earlier, by the way, this morning and yesterday. We all live in fact. So this fact do we live in? That Jesus is going to return. Towards further evidence of the promise of Jesus' return needs to be taken seriously is why John... Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, stresses that what is, has been recorded in this book of Revelation as being totally true. Look at verse 9. It says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. In other words, what I just wrote about, I experienced, I saw firsthand. You should not doubt it. He wrote the Revelation based on what he experienced. And because of that, it led John, as he does in this passage numerous times, to plead with people. 
to plead with those who would read Revelation to take the fact that Jesus' return and everything else written in the book of Revelation and implied in the context, I don't have time to go there this morning, the rest of Scripture as a whole as being the real deal. It's not speculation. It's not a myth. It's not one man's version of what's going to happen. It's true. This is something that the angel confirmed as well. Repeatedly in verse 26, these words are trustworthy and true. The angel of heaven says this. Verse 9, who keeps the words of his book. And then directly by John once again in 18, as he warns people, don't add to this record. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. The importance of why we shouldn't add, look at the punishment. Plagues. Why? Why does John directly say, don't add anything to this word? Don't add anything to this book. Don't add anything to this revelation of Jesus' return. You know what happens? We got a game given to us for Christmas and it was about drawing. And it's like, you know, when you pass, if I tell something Emily and a secret Emily and she passes it on to her brothers and it hits finally Jacinda, is it going to be the same story? No, we always have this urge to add something. To say it in our own words, and that's not totally wrong. But what happens if the, the book of Revelation was added to is that then it would get clouded what it's meant for. What it's meant for is Jesus is going to return. And things are added to the book of Revelation. People would lose sight of that fact. That Jesus is coming. Now, any of you live life in church for a while, you know that the book of Revelation is a book that, quite frankly, people have added stuff to. In recent history, look at the last hundred years or so, it might be dying off now, but there was huge speculations about this book of Revelation. You go back a hundred years and look at what was in libraries and churches back then, it was talking about how the world affairs were lining up about Jesus returning. Some of the same things are written now, just the names and places and people are changed. But really what has happened is we've added this book to this book of Revelation and missed the meaning of it. We've looked at the tree and missed the forest, or looked at the forest and missed the tree. Reading through my commentary this week, John MacArthur's on Revelation, he says this, God does not command believers to read Revelation merely to satisfy their curiosity about the future. He did not inspire it to provide material for detailed chronological charts of end-time events. There is a seemingly endless stream of books on prophecy being churned out with speculative prophetic schemes proficiating, he tongue-in-cheek says, ad infinitum as nauseum. But it was not God's purpose to give Christians a detailed endless of prophetic significance, if any, of contemporary, cultural, political, military, and social events or trends. God-inspired revelation for one purpose. To reveal the glory of his Son and call believers to live godly, obedient lives in light of his soon return. The purpose of Revelation is not to provide entertainment, but to provide motivation for godly living.
See, the facts of this passage, the facts of the book of Revelation, speaks clearly and directly that Jesus is coming. And quite frankly, truly for non-believers, they don't care. But what about believers? Are we aware that he's returning? And as we prepare for his returning, are we living and acting as he, if Jesus is soon returning? Now, quite frankly, the problem is for skeptics and for us and our fallen natures, since so many years have gone past since this day of ascension and the promises that John records here at the end of Revelation, gets us kind of lethargic, lethargic. Causes us to start not acting like he's returning. Leaving us not ready for his return. Because so much time has passed and the promise is not being fulfilled. Yet the Bible confirms, truthfully, that no one knows the hour, no one knows the day. I don't know why people waste money buying the books. Why people waste energy and time trying to say this is when the day is going to happen. When the Bible is clear, only the Father knows. Now one of the reasons I think why we don't know is that if we did know that Jesus is going to return on September 18th, 2034... We'll do it like I did in college a couple of times. Of course, my girls never do that. Miguel, you've never done this. Crammed at the night before the big exam. Or we would do what we do at Christmas. We know that it's going to hit December 25th every year. And how many of us ran around like our heads were cut off the last two weeks before Christmas trying to get everything ready? That's one of the reasons I think the Father, when the Father knows when Jesus is going to return. Why? Because he wants his people to live out their lives as if he's going to return any minute. It's also true that his word tells us how to live till he returns. Gives us instructions. Oh, by the way, gives us instructions not so that we would be comfortable but so we would know how to be godly. So we would know how to be holy as we seek to be Christ-like here in the here and now, awaiting Jesus when he returns. So we won't be caught off guard. Not caught off guard with the surprise that he comes back, but caught off guard without being ready. You ever had those dreams before Christmas? You wake up two days beforehand and you think it's Christmas Day, then you're like... <laughs> Because what happens when Jesus comes and we're not ready? We're caught off guard. We're unrepentant. We haven't received him. There's not going to be time. It says that it's going to come like a thief. Meaning that we better be living today for him as if he's coming back tomorrow because we don't know. Because you ever notice life is fragile? Either we're going to see him face to face one way or the other. In Revelation 22, verse 14, what does John says? Blessed are those who wash their robes. In other words, are preparing, are cleaning, are doing the right things so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. What city? The new city. 
Because I bet you, you're like me. I got lots of time left. I'll get serious kind of once I have my fun. The trouble is, I said that in my 20s. I'm also 56. I have no idea how fast the time was going by. Anybody ever had their life go by really quickly? You young people don't understand. You will one day. And that's not a slide. That's just the way it is. I, uh, my first church, there was a guy. We married his um, son and daughter-in-law about a year beforehand. I came back from holidays about a year later. On my office door was a big note, please call such and such. On my phone, my office phone was, please call such and such. On my home phone, please call, call such and such. I go in and talk with him. He's younger than me, and he's been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Came from a Christian home. He said, I always thought I would come back to faith when I was 70. After I had my fun. But I realize, <laughs> you talk about evangelism being hard. He wanted to say yes to Jesus before I even came in the door. He understood how important having faith was. And for the six months a year he had left, he talked to people about coming to faith today. Don't wait till tomorrow because you never know what's going to happen. See, we always are called to live, being mindful of Christ's return because time slips away. This Christmas season, the eyes reminds us how fast time goes by, right? It's four days since Christmas. Everybody is aware of that? 361 to next year. When we hit next year, will we think that 2020 went by fast or slow? We sat down yesterday for our Christmas dinner. I was like, didn't we just do this like two weeks ago? See, what happens in life, year after year goes by, and every time the clock ticks, we get back much closer to Jesus' return. Also, and again in verse 7, 12, and 20, the three-phrase repetition, I'm coming soon, reinforces the reality of Christ's return. It's something that's going to happen. It's going to happen sooner rather than later. You have the Greek wording for coming here, the tahu, it doesn't describe in which the time it's going to take Christ to return from heaven when God says go. But the Greek word, the condemnations in translations of it, it's going to occur rapidly. It's going to be quickly. It's going to be hurriedly. It's going to be swiftly. It's going to be speedy and so forth. Again, pointing to the fact that Christ's return is something more closer than longer away. That it's more like James chapter 5 verse 9 where he's kind of like a judge. Outside the door, ready to come in. When I was a kid, I hated dentists. Actually, just one, my dentist, Dr. Stanzianzi. Who gives a dentist a name, Dr. Stanzianzi? He had no legs. So he, he had artificial legs, and he had a small office between the two rooms. And you knew your time was close when the door swang in a bit on the room that you were in because he just came in from the other room. Then you'd get really nervous. Because he had a bedside manager, man, manner not very good. Christ is at the door. The door is swinging because he's ready to come in. And finally, we know that it's close because in 22.10 of Revelation, John is told not to seal up the words of the prophecy of this book of Revelation. In other words, don't close up the fact that Jesus is coming 
But if you know your Old Testament and the prophetic word of the Old Testament, the book of Daniel talks about the end of times as well. And there, Daniel's told to shut up the word. Shut up the word, Daniel. But then about 600, 700 years later, John is told, leave it open. Why? Because it's closer. It's closer. It needs to be heard. It needs to be understood and so forth. John understood this. Which is why he ends his writing with what? Surely I'm coming soon. Then he prays. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. As we close our study throughout the Bible today, and by the way, keep reading. I think in your bulletins is the reading plan for next year. If you want to know Jesus, we need to be in the Word. But is that our prayer? Come, Lord Jesus. Now, granted, as I get older, that's much more of my heartfelt prayer than when I was in my 20s. But regardless of our age, are we even aware that Jesus is going to return? Are we even excited about that he's soon to return? And finally, are we acting if he's soon going to return? So if we're not, then how can we? Be ready for Jesus when he returns. Again, he's not telling us to stop living, but to be prepared. Well, the obvious one is we receive him. The clearest thing that we need to do be ordered to return for Jesus' return is receive him. And by the way, call people by sharing the gospel to receive him as well. Accept the offer that he and only he can give. Look at verse 17. Come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And for most of the world, they're baffled by that because they don't understand his grace. There's nothing we can do. I can take water without paying for it. In our nature, we, we got to work. We got to work. We got to work. And the trouble is when we know how far we fall short because we know how frail we are with our work. He offers, come to him and be saved. Saved from what? Not having a bad life, but from sin. And the penalty that sin is due. Eternal separation from God and anything of God. In that place reserved for those who did not truly believe in God. Doesn't sound like a good crowd that you're going to be with. Dogs and sorcerers and sexual immoral murderers and idolaters. And everyone who loves and practices falsehood. This is one of the references in scripture that there's not annihilation, there's separation. See, modern and even older people, not younger people, we have a way to think that we're so smart that we can neglect 2,000 years of belief. Well, there's no hell. That's going around evangelical churches today. It's annihilation. That God would so love people that he would not destine them to hell for eternity. That's only come on the scene for the last hundred years at the most. That's why we need to accept him. We need to evangelize about him before it's too late. 
Because again, since when he comes, there'll be no warning. It'd be like a thief. And when he comes, final judgment starts. The door is shut. Secondly, we serve him. We serve him as believers waiting for his return. Again, we balance that off with living life, planning for the future and all that stuff. But we serve him by choosing him in his ways, in big ways and small ways. Nothing worse than somebody who says they're a Christian and acting like everybody knows unchristian ways. Because the world knows what a Christian should act like, right? And as soon as we don't act like that, they're on us like a fly. Mohammed Gandhi says, I don't like your Christ. I do not like Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. See, verse 11. And the righteous still do right, and the holy still the holy still be holy. We serve him by living up to the standard of his word through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. If we try to do it on our own, we'll never succeed. In order to become more like Jesus Christ, the right standing in which he has obtained for us already, which we live for him by choosing righteousness. Again, in his power, not our own, because our power is like filthy rags, scripture says. And we seek to be holy. Be the Christ-like. And thirdly, the first one, we wait for Jesus. As we wait for Jesus, we receive him. Secondly, we serve him. Finally, we worship him. Even the angels understood this. Worship God. Worship God for what God is doing in Jesus Christ. And certainly we worship by singing whatever praising, praying, again, whatever context and, and preference we have. But I hope we can worship when our kind of music's not being sung. I hope we can worship when there is no music. Hope we can pray to him as we are called to pray without ceasing. But we worship him, notice verse 9 again, by knowing the book of Revelation and all the books of the entire scripture, God's revelation to us that is scripture. Because as we have already talked about, we know Jesus more, the one we're called to worship. And now, obviously, God's revelation speaks to how we ought to live, awaiting Jesus' return, working, praying, living, worshiping him in every way. We know the verse in all things. Whether you eat or drink. In Forsberg today, a couple wasn't talking about their fight, but they were at a place at Christmas time where they walked in, they knew the husband and the wife weren't meshing well together. You know, we can even fight for the glory of God in our marriages. I hope we're fighting for the glory of God for our marriages. Why? Because when we do everything for the glory of God, we're pointing people towards him. The name that's above all names. The one who says, behold, I'm coming soon. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we're acutely aware that 2019 is almost done and we enter a new decade. 
And for those of us who know, it just seems like a blink, and it was 1999. Really, time is rapidly unwinding. Let us choose this day who will serve and then live for his glory. No matter if Jesus comes back in the next hour or in the next millennium. Because there is no other name in which we ought to be living for except his name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.